Welcome to the Catholic Economics Podcast. I'm your host, Levi Russell, and today I'm going to be talking about the recent uh, roundtable debate discussion on uh, Reason and Theology's YouTube channel. And I have today with me Anthony Fernandez, who is the uh, director of the Leonine Institute for Catholic Social Teaching at leoinstitute.org. Anthony's been on the show before talking about um, using data to try to convince people Um, of uh, our sort of take on uh, economics and justice and stuff like that. Uh, So thanks for coming, Anthony, and uh, uh, welcome back. Yeah, thanks for having me back on the show, Levi. Great. So here's what I thought we would do. So this was an interesting uh, little discussion that was had. I think there are some general uh, critiques to make, but what, what basically happened is the three debaters or the three uh, parties to this roundtable discussion were each representing um, a, I guess, I don't know, an ideology or an economic system or something like that. And so the first one was Trent Horn uh, talking about capitalism. And you might, if you don't know, if you kind of just know about Trent Horn a little bit, then you might be a little confused by that because, uh, you know, he, he's, a, he's, a, uh, he's an apologist, a uh, Catholic apologist, but he also recently wrote a book called "Can a Catholic Be a Socialist?" And then he says uh, he, he wrote the book with an with a with an actual uh, economist as well. And so that was kind of an interesting, um, <laughs> kind of an interesting juxtaposition there, I guess. So he he talks about uh, capitalism and he defends that. Then there is uh, Thomas Hackett, who is the uh, creator of Tradiste. Uh, just a a website that has, you know, just various different kinds of commentary and content and stuff. And he seems to be, I don't know, I feel like he's kind of uh, changing his views a little bit. I think he started off really hard left. And I think he's starting to soften on those things a little bit, but he was the defender of distributism or, uh, you know, whatever you want to call that, uh, uh, you know, solidarity, solidarism, whatever. And then finally we have Jose Mena, who is, uh, I think his handle on Twitter is like Go Oat or something like that. Go Oat, yeah. yeah. Weird name. I don't know what it's about. But. Yeah. Well, he probably doesn't either. Just a really <laughs> odd left calf type, you know. And uh, so he's he's defending socialism in this whole uh, little roundtable thing. And so they each get five minutes to kind of do their opening statements. And then they have 20 minutes each discussing each of the three systems. And then they have a closing. And then there's a whole bunch of extra time, like another hour or so of um, just kind of open discussion or whatever. But um, I personally just went through kind of the formal part of it. I didn't really, I didn't go on past that where they did all the the back and forth because I just, I'm more interested in just hearing what they have to say when they've got a time limit and they put the most important stuff out there. So uh, what I thought we would do, Anthony, is talk about each one of these in turn. So start off talking about capitalism and specifically about, obviously, in this case, Trent's, uh, Trent Horn's uh, defense of capitalism and the points that the other two made. So what was your general impression of uh, 
you know, Trent's defense of capitalism or uh, uh, what he said about it. So the first thing that Trent did before he went on to his whole long speech is distancing himself from Catholic Answers Organization, which I really appreciate that he did. Uh, it's more of his personal opinion on things that he's expressing here rather than this is what the church teaches. So it's at least nice to hear that his interpretation, he doesn't think is the absolute uh, interpretation that you have to accept because yeah. I don't accept it for a very well, good he, reason. He also, it's interesting, he also mentioned that a lot of the people at Catholic Answers agree with Hackett. So, um. Right. I, I think I heard something recently from Jimmy Aiken that he says he's more on the capitalist side, but he doesn't really get into this kind of stuff so much. But it, it's nice to hear that just because I really, in general, like his apologetics. And so having to go against him here is a little bit weird, but when he says something that's pretty far off base, I got to say something. So he, he kind of goes into his whole standard defense, which really takes the form of Austrian school economics, something that we've all probably heard a million times. And I don't know, his defenses are not really convincing to me when you kind of step back and think about what he's actually saying. And so one of the main things he's going to have to defend or that he goes over in his opening speech is about the distribution of wealth, which of course is going to be the biggest criticism that the socialists and distributists are going to have against our current setup and that Trent is defending. And one of the lines that he has there, I thought was particularly insightful to the way that he views things. He says, 1% of the population has created half of the world's wealth. And you think about that, do you really think that 1% of the population alone is responsible for creating half of the world's wealth? And yeah. I guess in a sense, in the standard Austrian view, you're going to say, yeah, because they're, they're paid that much. They must have created that wealth. But when you think about it, it's no, they're, they're not doing half of the world's labor. Well, and it's, uh, and it's not, it's not that they, it's not that they're getting paid that it's that they own, like, if you're talking about wealth, right, you're talking about what they own, not, not their income. And so it's, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So it's like the, the capital that they own. Exactly. And I, I think that's a useful distinction to get into later uh, when we're talking about what is the value of something that's created. And especially when you're getting into, does that influence things, the amount mm -hmm. of capital that you own? So right away, as Trent makes that point, you kind of get a sense that something is off in the way that he's viewing things. Because no, most people aren't going to look at that and say, yeah, that, that makes sense. You, you would hear that and say, that doesn't sound right at all. So you can take the example of any of these big tech guys, take Jeff Bezos as the, the standard guy we all point to. I mean, is he really responsible for most of the wealth of Amazon? No. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. He has workers under him who do the coding, do the fulfillment, work the warehouses, do everything. Now, did he do a lot to get it to where it is? Of course. And so socialists who want to make the argument that he's shouldn't be, he shouldn't have any of that capital, they're pretty far off, right? I mean, he, he took a big, he took a risk to start a company and he should get compensated. Should mm -hmm. he be worth a hundred billion dollars? That's a very different question. Right, right. So it's not, it's not that your, your, your critique isn't, uh, you know, uh, the proletariat will rise and all of that kind of stuff. It's just about um, justice and, and remuneration for work and, and how, uh, how investment and ownership fit into that, uh, that remuneration perspective. Exactly. We want to be focused on what is the 
what is the just outcome in all of these different transactions and ensuring that the common good is served in everything right. that we do. It's not about antagonism between different classes, but more so cooperation as much as we mm -hmm. can. We don't want class warfare. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it, I thought it was kind of interesting too, how he, uh, well, one of the critiques that Trent got was um, Thomas Hackett saying uh, he, he was talking about wages. And this is something that, like you said, Trent was spending most of his time just kind of repeating Austrian school slash Chicago school kind of talking points about this stuff. And, um, you know, given where his co-author from that, from that book uh, has, has come from and his teaching and stuff like that, I think it makes sense that, that he would, that that's what he's getting. Um, that's where he's learning his economics because obviously he's not, um, you know, he's not steeped in the, in the literature or anything like that himself because uh, he has expertise in other areas. But one of the points that Thomas Hackett brought up is he's he's talking about wages to Trent Horn, which obviously, you know, when we talk about Catholic social teaching and its its origins in the late 19th century and stuff, there's a there's a big focus on wages and the the justice of the wage. And and of course, Pope Leo starts his discussion off talking about families and, and about how, uh, you know, uh, the, uh, a man is to, to be able to provide for his family with his wage. And so Hackett asks uh, Horn, what is a wage, right? I thought it was really interesting. And, and so Trent Horn's saying, well, it's a, it's a signal, it's a price, right? It's, it's, a, it's information in the form of a price, uh, which is, again, very, um, very common, I guess, uh, right liberal uh, economic theory or meta economic theory. And what's interesting is Hackett's saying, no, that's not what a price is. A price, or excuse me, that's not what a wage is. A wage is something that allows a man to support a family. And, and so to me, I thought that was interesting. It's like when we're talking about just wages to people on the right liberal side, they're, they're saying, well, how can you justify uh, you know, setting a wage or, or you, you know what I mean, government intervention in wages. And it's like, well, no, we're just, we just have a different conception of what a wage is like fundamentally, what does it mean for something to be a wage? Um, and so it's, it's defined that way. And I thought that was, I just thought that was an interesting uh, perspective on that. Yeah. It's interesting to hear what, how Trent views it. And I think he makes the point that he doesn't want to treat labor as a commodity, but in the end, when the price of labor is just what the market dictates, it's essentially what the outcome is. You can say that you're not treating it as a commodity, but when these are the only restrictions that you're going to be placing on wage, that whatever, whatever two parties come to decide is the fair wage, that's exactly how you treat any other commodity in the market. And he got hit, I think, pretty well not just by, by by Hackett, but even by Mena on this point about when you have somebody who, let's say you have a, a young man coming out of college, doesn't own anything, he's pretty desperate for a job. And so can he really engage in fair negotiations to decide what his wage should be? Or is he just going to take whatever he can so that he doesn't starve? And Horn, I don't think, has a good answer to that. He kind of avoids the question, and then he, they get into this issue about, about setting wage floors and how that can lead to unemployment, which it can, and the social encyclicals talk about that. So we, you know, we can't just set the wage at 
a million dollars an hour and expect no repercussions in the economy. Obviously there will be, but there is a fundamental issue here where you have somebody who may have a million dollars in assets and can go a week or a month without, without having this one particular labor. It's not a huge loss to him. Whereas if that laborer who owns nothing doesn't have a job for a month or two, they're going to be struggling pretty badly. So you have this fundamental imbalance when you're negotiating this um, the wage rate. And I don't think that Trent Horn or the Austrians, Chicago School, have a really great answer to this. They'll just point to competition and say, that'll solve the problem. And it doesn't really seem to, to do it, irrespective of the issue of justice about what a man should be paid, what what is the the worth of anybody that you're hiring, right? So I, I I'm I'm a little bit, uh, I guess, sympathetic to the to the idea that there's a distinction between the work itself and the person, but I think that what Hackett says about the wage is is what actually kind of obliterates that distinction. In other words, I think that 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 distinction is is ultimately a right liberal philosophical point. And like I've said about other things, including interest and, you know, the, the time value of money and all that stuff, um, you know, it's not, this isn't like, uh, this isn't a fundamental law of nature. This is just, uh, you know, a, a philosophical perspective and it, and it might be wrong. And, and I think at least from Thomas Hackett's point of view, it is. So uh, speaking of Hackett, let's move on and talk a little bit about his defense of the idea of distributism. So what what do you think is the most uh, what, what what do you think was the most revealing or most important part that people should uh, take away from you know if they're if they're just looking for a uh, a summary of kind of what what uh, Thomas Hackett says in this discussion debate thing you know what what is he what what is he saying that's that's uh, that's uh, important about distributism so I think his his biggest emphasis which I'm very sympathetic with is having a, a wide distribution of property, making as many people owners as possible. And there are a few ways to interpret that, but the one that he seems most focused on is a return to the land, that everybody owns a piece of land, that they become more self-sufficient and that they can uh, provide for themselves as opposed to being dependents on other people to provide them a wage, which, you know, it's kind of a romantic notion that everybody can live off of the land, uh, be their own, have a homestead, own their own property, and all of that. And I think that takes away a little bit from, uh, from a specifically Catholic social teaching point of view, because there are some other assumptions there that aren't necessarily true. So do we really want everybody to be going to the land? Does everybody want to go to the land? Uh, not necessarily. I think it's kind of a nice idea, but is it going to work practically? Are we going to be able to feed, I don't know what population we are now, six, seven billion people in the world? I'm not sure. And that's what he's done with his life. I know he's living in, in Amish country, uh, kind of living out this ideal. And there's a lot that we can learn from it. He's, and he's trying to stay close to Catholic social teaching. But I think just that perspective on making people owners of the things that they work with is is interesting. And it's a perspective that you don't hear much from the capitalist socialist divide. And I, that's probably the most important thing I think you can get from what he's talking about. 
Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, I, I, I agree that, that that really seemed to be his point of view. And I guess um, it, maybe it would have been or maybe it's something I need to ask him about, but it would be really neat to kind of get a better idea of what he really, you know, if you, if you press him on this a lot, what does he say? Because to me, OK, yeah, back to the land, maybe that's a good way to go. Um, but certainly it doesn't seem like there is some kind of requirement on all of us to give up the sort of the luxuries of modern life. Um, even uh, Father Pesh says uh, in, in his uh, short book, Ethics in the National Economy, that we aren't, uh, there's, there's no reason for us to sort of go the, uh, you know, the uh, sabotage, you know, smash up all the machines route. I mean, we don't have to do that um, to, to uh, create a just, uh, a just economy. Uh, there are things we have to do. Of course, the uh, the government has to be involved in that. And, and of course, right liberals aren't going to like that. Um, the family has to be the center of it. And socialists aren't going to like that. But um, it, it certainly doesn't seem to be the case that we have to, we would have to give that stuff up. And it, I would say that if we're going to get to this route of, um, you know, everyone has to not only own like a place for them to live, right, their, their home and their uh you know, in some fashion, their access to transportation and, and uh, food, medical care, and all of that sort of thing, but also the means of production itself, right? I mean, that's a separate uh, kind of thing. And, you know, my reading of, of Catholic social teaching says that, of course, you know, it would be better if we could all own as much as we can, but even Chesterton says, well, you know, it's good that you have a wage income and your own capital, or, um, you know, given that we live in uh, a sort of post-industrial or at the time that Rerum Novarum and, and um, other texts are being written in an industrial society, there's just, there's not going to be, uh, you know, the, the spreading that, that property out, the, the means of production property-wise um, out is, is very difficult if you're going to keep the thing together, you know. Um, and so, you know, maybe we could turn... Uh, every large business into a giant uh, cooperative, but uh, I don't know. That, that seems, um, it seems like you would have at some point th th there would at least, it would at least be possible that you would have such a, such a destruction of the uh, economies of scale that you would, you would, you would uh, go backwards in a lot of ways and not just in the sense of, you know, losing, uh, access to cheap plastic junk, uh, like uh, obviously um, Hackett makes a good point about, you know, why why are we so obsessed with this cheap plastic junk, um, but also on other things like, uh, you know, food and like you're saying, you know, food and shelter and all of that kind of stuff. Get seven billion people, we're kind of you know at this point it, it's sort of too late. We're we're kind of reliant on uh, an industrial system and and to an extent. Uh, uh, there, there's, um, there's a, uh, a scale economy uh, implication there. Yeah, and I think that was just the most disappointing part of his side of it because I'm, I am, I'm more sympathetic to his view than to the other two, but I, he doesn't really. I think he goes a little bit too far with, with this view of distributism, and it kind of, it, it, as you alluded to, ignores economies of scale, and it's a position you don't have to take where everybody goes back to the land. Uh, mm -hmm. We could have, I think the, where a more fruitful discussion is had is talking about the just wage. And 
ultimately, does everybody want to be a business owner and do they want to be taking this risk? I, I don't think so. I don't well, and know. A lot of people just aren't, uh, a lot of people aren't, um, you know, sort of talented in that way. I mean, it takes, it takes a certain amount of creativity and, uh, uh, you know, drive and all of that stuff to be uh, sort of an independent um, business person. And of course, at no point in history has, has, you know, has it actually been that way, right? I mean, you know, you go back to the medieval era. I mean, we had peasants, right? Those people weren't, um, you know, they own, they may have owned their home or something like that, but they didn't own, uh, you know, uh, everything that they were using to provide for themselves. Uh, so right. they didn't, they didn't take all of the risk. Right. And I think they, that's yeah. a big thing. I mean, not everybody wants to own a business, but there right. is something that most people do want to own their home. Sure. And that's, I think, a more, that's a better place to be focused on. Right. And, and just as important, it's, it's good that they own their home and, and it's, it's good that they have an option to, to not um, have to take on that risk of, yeah. of a business. So finally with the socialism stuff. So uh, I think, so I guess I'll, I'll just, I want to kind of set this one up myself. So it, to me, it seems like Mena is doing this thing where uh, and again, we, you know, it's, it's with these socialists, it's always, it's always a game of definitions, right? And what he seems to do is he seems to take the, um, and, and really Trent Horn helped him with this in a lot of ways. He takes the, he, he takes the sort of uh, liberal dichotomy, right? It's either capitalism or socialism. So therefore, everything that's not capitalism is socialism. So therefore, uh, you know, Thomas Hackett's arguments about distributism, right? So, so you know, Mena's, Mena's critiques of the distributist stuff was, oh, it's just going to end up being distributism if you go too far with your subsidiarity, or it's going to be socialism if you have a strong enough government to keep you from uh, becoming a, a, a capitalist economy. And so to me, it's like, well, no, there are other options <laughs> in this. Uh, so, you know, just because you think there's only two options, uh, you, know, jo you know, Jose, doesn't mean everybody else does, right? Um, and it doesn't mean that that's correct, right? It's, just, it's very much a liberal framing. Um, and so then the other thing that I think he's, he, he, he gets wrong um, is this obsession with democracy and this idea that democracy is somehow this uh, fabulously efficient uh, mechanism for ensuring justice on the part of the population. Um, and so he, he's, he's very, um, you know, he, when, when he's fighting with uh, Trent Horn about capitalism, he's saying, oh, well, you know, uh, we, we want, you know, we want the government to do this because the government is accountable, whereas you, you know, these evil fat cat capitalists aren't accountable. And it's like, well, yeah, I mean, in your dream world where there's unicorns and all these other silly things, uh, you know, uh, democracy, democratic governments are, are um, you know, beholden to the people, but you're, you're just as happy to turn on the people the second they have the opinions you don't want. Right. So, I mean, it's, and, and, and the other thing too, is when, the whole time when men is talking about this stuff, never once does he talk about the family. He's, he seems very happy to talk about individuals and individual rights and all of the stuff. And you're just like, this guy is just like, he's just spouting off, you know, Marx and Locke to me. Um, but of course he would say that that's a character and, you know, not all socialism is, uh, you know, Pol Pot and, and whatever. <laughs> so what, what, yeah, what did you think about all that? He, he tried to draw that distinction talking about uh, this class warfare 
stuff that he tries to distance himself from. But he, but you're right. I think when you listen to him, that's all that he's really talking about is the unfairness of what's happening to workers, and now basically have to take over everything, make sh- to ensure that everybody is treated fairly. And he kind of just skirts around the issue of subsidiarity totally, so that at the end you have the same class warfare that you would have had even with an explicit embrace of Marx, Lenin, all of these people who are more open about what how they feel about capitalists. And I don't know, he this is really common with people like like him and Sam Roca, who will never say that they are for this kind of analysis, but when you go into it with them, that's exactly what they're doing. It's a, it's the same thing in the end. So they they love to play this game where they mess around with definitions and say, oh, I'm not really this bad guy. I'm, I'm more of this better view of socialism. But in the end, it turns out to be the same thing. Right. And so it, it always seems like a, a begging, be, begging the audience to uh, uh, adopt this hyper-idealistic view of what uh, socialism is going to uh, is going to look like. Um, so, right. I guess to be, I don't know, to take him on his to take him on his uh, his own claims about you know discussing. Um, well, he he seems to really like this idea of global global government, um, and uh, of course you know it's just the standard uh, you know atheist lefty talking points, which again, gets me back to my same, the thing that I've been saying quite a bit lately, which is socialism is not a set of policies. um, And it's not a, a, it's not a a solution to a problem. It's an ideology. And so he seems, he, he mentioned Pope Francis a lot in there. And so I wanted to see what you thought about his references to Pope Francis. And I think that he kind of ties that in to try, he tries to tie that in with, uh, you know, global government and, um, uh, you know, sort of giving up, giving up um, sovereignty at the, at the more local level uh, to, to, uh, you know, accomplish the, whatever these goals are, right. Whatever they are. What did you think about that? Yeah, that's kind of what you expect from uh, this kind of a guy. Um, there's always, when, especially when it comes to Pope Francis, there's this, there's this far left spin on everything that he says, uh, aided by the media who who push this narrative, this view about him. And there is, I don't wanna say it's completely false where he, he does obviously talk about things that we can do on a global scale where we can coordinate between nations and that larger nations have an obligation to smaller ones. And, and that is true, but does that mean that you totally give up your sovereignty uh, you treat your own citizens as exactly the same as you treat somebody on the other side of the world? No. And Pope Francis has talked specifically about that in his latest encyclical about you can't have this view, which men of really seems to have, where you kind of hate your heritage. And I don't know if men has said anything positive about uh, the heritage of the country that he is in. Right. And you see that a lot in his Twitter feed, which he's was smart to avoid during this whole show because people that mm-hmm. uh, people immediately get a distaste for that and pope francis is about that too you can't hate what your background is you can't hate your family and right that's exactly what you get from mena well and and, and what's even more interesting i think it, it, I, I think building on that 
what Pope Francis actually says in Fratelli Tutti is he actually says you can't have an authentic encounter, which again is, you know, these lefties like to use these, these, these phrases. You can't have an authentic encounter, which is the, one of these terms that these folks like to use to uh, with, with, with other people, with whoever that other person is. If, uh, if you are, um, you know, hating your own um, organ, you know, you hate, you hate your own culture. Um, and I, I'm trying to find, I, I was trying to find the, the quote from that. Cause I, I read, I read, I used it recently. Um, but yeah, anyway. I know he had one a little bit older in Laudato Si about uh, these millionaires and billionaires, I think, especially pointing at, at Davos, uh, people who come up with these plans that are going to help all these poor people across the world. But these are people who know nothing about the experiences of of poverty, especially in the third world. And so they become detached from the sufferings. And what you end up with is not a not a plan that expresses the desires of those poor people, but what he says is nothing more than uh, population control. We kind of just killing off the problem, which is right. a natural outcome of this detachment from the experiences of the poor. This isn't solidarity. This isn't compassion. Right. This is. It's know, like squashing a bug, really. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that's what Mena is, is getting at it, but he's better at selling it, at least in this show, to make it sound nicer, but that's really what it is. Right. Well, I found the quote that I was looking for. It's uh, paragraph 143 in Fratelli 2D. And he said, he's, uh, Pope Francis, I'm just going to paraphrase a little here, but he's saying that, you know, we can't have these authentic encounters except, and then I'll quote here, on the basis of love for one's own land, one's own people, and one's own cultural roots. I mean, good grief. You know, we, I would be called a fascist for uh, saying this to one of these lefties, right? I mean, good grief. They would, they would freak out. Uh, and yet here's Pope Francis. Right. And that's one of those quotes that we'll never hear about in the media for, from Pope Francis yeah. because they want to portray him as something that he's not. Um, one of the other things that Mena was getting into, uh, he seems to really favor this universal basic income and kind of spins it as a, as a natural outgrowth of Catholic social teaching, but that is not at all what you can, what you hear from the popes. Uh, there, there shouldn't be this guarantee that even if you do nothing, that you'll be paid by the state. And I know Mena wouldn't put it that way, where he, he says that people who are essentially leeches should be punished in a certain way. He was kind of vague about right. that, though. He, he says he wants the, the state to deal with it, like like the police, I guess, yeah. arrest you. Gulag, right? Wrong. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a great way to put it. Yeah. And what's more misleading about that is this is explicitly not what the popes teach about this. So I have this quote from Pope Francis, uh, where he says, work is a necessity. And Mena would never say that. Part of the meaning of life on this earth, a path to growth, human development, and personal fulfillment. Helping the poor financially must always be a provisional solution in the face of pressing needs, a provisional solution. The broader objective should always be to allow them a dignified life through work. Mm -hmm. And who, who is the one in, in these three people who is espousing that position? Is it Trent Horn? No, he's saying he wants people to work below. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, below a wage that can even sustain them. That's not Mena who says you don't even have to work to deserve it, but this is what Hackett is talking about. And I think that's a perfect way to cap this whole thing off right there. 
I appreciate you uh, being on the show, Anthony, and I appreciate your insights and your uh, taking your time to listen to <laughs> this two and a half hour long roundtable, uh, which was enjoyable. And if you're interested in this kind of thing, please uh, go check out Reason and Theology's uh, video on this on their YouTube channel. Uh, but thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, if you want to support the show directly, there's links in uh, uh, the show notes there. If you want to contact me, uh, contact information for various social media platforms and email uh, as well. And uh, other than that, um, I will be coming to you next week. Mm -hmm.